This is Ye Old Dragon's Library, the storytelling podcast. This is the place to hear fantastical fiction and hear from authors of fantastical news stories. This episode is another chapter in the fantasy novel Plantwise, book one in the Steward's World series. If you're ready for the magic of story, let's begin. Chapter 19 Olive, the palace's head cook, was a tiny woman, white-haired and red-faced, who insisted on wearing white no matter how messy her job became. She managed to be everywhere at once, tasting everything multiple times, and yet never growing wider than she was tall. She took Arden and Violet under her wing, as soon as Jason brought them to her, making it totally unnecessary for the palace steward to become involved. Arden was grateful for that, and grateful for the private room for herself and Violet, the livery that would help her blend in with the servants, and most of all, for the warm, savory meal Olive dished up for her, liberally sprinkled with palace gossip. Arden curled up in a corner of the kitchen and fed Violet while Olive worked on fancy pastries and preparations for tomorrow's cooking. She relaxed in the warmth of friendship, weariness, and a sense of having accomplished something enormous. You'll find yourself very popular, mark my words. Olive punctuated her words with a sharp rap on the work table with her wooden spoon. Even if you weren't so pretty and a widow and with such an adorable little poppet. Yes, I'm talking about you, sweetling. She wrinkled up her face at staring little Violet, who burst out laughing. I'm not sure I understand, Arden said. A sinking sensation put a lie to her words. It's the tree, of course. The king has been in a foul temper over it. When the tree gets better, why, he'll be his old self, and the rest of the palace can breathe easily again. All because of you. Is the tree that important? The king needs those apples for Princess Fiera. It's very important to impress Brentonwald. We didn't do well in that silly war Westerland insisted on. Maddox demanded the war, Arden said. Westerland wanted nothing to do with it. No, dearie, you're mistaken. Olive gave her a puzzled little frown. My husband served with King Alex. Arden swallowed down her little flare of anger. It wasn't Olive's fault. She was only repeating the lies she had been told. However, Arden could do something about those lies while she was here. He was there when they argued for peace talks instead of attacking Ambre. King Alex wanted peace, and King Maddox was furious with him because he wanted war. Really? Now isn't that amazing how we don't hear the truth down here? Tell me, since you were so close to the palace... Is Princess Arden really as ugly as the king said? Ugly? She sat up a little straighter, startled enough she didn't know whether to laugh or be upset. It wasn't like Olive had meant to hurt her, after all. We heard she pronounced a curse on King Maddox. It stands to reason. If she had the power to make the curse work, then she's a witch. And witches are ugly. Stands to reason. Olive emphasized her words with another sharp rap of her spoon which totally delighted Violet. She giggled and wriggled on her mother's lap and snatched at the last spoon of soup, nearly upending it into her lap. Oh, no, Arden said. I've found that evil hides itself behind great beauty and charm. Only truth has the courage to present its real face to the world. 
"'Then you must be a very evil woman,' Olive laughed when Arden blinked and shook her head, caught off balance by the remark. "'You have such a pretty face. It must be hiding a great deal of evil,' the head cook explained, with another chuckle. "'No,' she forced herself to laugh and shake her head, and at least appear to relax. "'I'm nothing more than a soldier's widow, trying to take care of my daughter. I'm here to heal the king's tree and take my reward, and then I can go home.' It must be a sad place without you and your little one in it. Here now, lad, she continued, turning toward the sound of a footstep in the doorway. You didn't have to do that. Arden caught her breath as the tall, lean form in the stairwell doorway resolved into someone vaguely familiar. She thought his coloring was wrong, but wasn't sure why or how. She swallowed hard, praying those bright eyes would pass over her and not see through her disguise. Any moment now, they would widen in surprise and recognition. What would she do if he demanded to know why the Princess of Westerland was sitting in the kitchen, gossiping with the cook, and wearing Stonemount livery? The moment passed, and the young man chuckled as he stepped across the room and deposited a tray of dirty dishes next to the washing barrel piled high with suds and dirty dishes. Arden knew she had seen him before in Westerland. He was wearing livery, so he was some kind of servant. Had he come to Westerland in the service of Maddox? It gave me an excuse to come down here, the young man said, his voice rich and warm and low enough to send a shiver down Arden's back. A pleasant shiver. I wanted to come see if the rumors are true. He winked at her and turned back to Olive, and Arden realized, with a sudden sensation of weightlessness, that he didn't recognize her. So, the stories have started already, have they? Olive shook her head and went back to mixing the filling for her pastries. Thirty years cooking for the palace, and I'm still surprised how quickly tales spread. For once, they're true. A maiden has come to heal the king's wretched tree, and she's lovely and young and... He stopped short as he turned back to Arden, a tiny frown wiping away his smile for a few seconds. Don't I know you, mistress? No, I don't think so. Arden shook her head, praying that her lack of flowers or jewelry, and the black kerchief once again covering her hair, would be a large enough difference to foil his memory. I never forget a pretty face, but I can't remember where I've seen you. He shook his head, that engaging smile returning. Wherever you've seen her, lad, she was probably already married when you met her, Olive said with a chuckle and a wink for Arden. Oh, yes, my condolences on your loss, mistress. May I ask how long ago? In the war, she hugged Violet a little closer. The little girl watched the stranger with big eyes, considering him. Arden decided he was a good man, because Violet was an unusually good judge of character and seemed to accept him already without any problem. Did he ever see his child? He made a face at Violet and prompted a giggle from her. Oh, yes. She cuddled Violet closer. He adored her. You just ruled your papa's heart, didn't you? Here now, Olive said, with a mocking growl and a sigh. You won't leave until you get introduced, will you? Dylan, this is Mora and her daughter Letty, of Westerland, she said. Arden had added false names to their disguise. It would do little good to cut her hair and wear peasant clothes if a plant-wise woman named Arden showed up at the palace gates with an ill little girl named Violet. Even the densest of Maddox's subjects would be able to put the pieces together and come up with trouble.
Ah, Westerland, Dylan said. That explains it. It's been years since I was able to travel to Westerland. A beautiful country, mistress. I miss it. Be warned. Your pretty face won't escape the king's notice for long. Take my advice and go home before you regret it. I came here for the king's reward, Arden said. I have my daughter to provide for, now that her father is dead. Is half the kingdom worth the danger? The reward I want and need is more than worth it. Yet even as she looked into his big, dark eyes, she felt a flicker of doubt. Ambrose spent most of his days in his chair by the large, open window that looked out over the palace gardens, lost in memories, and trying to think of some new way to get past his two vigilant guards for a few hours of freedom. Some day, Dylan promised, they would find a way to break free of Maddox and roam the world again. As the months of his protective imprisonment turned into years, Ambrose explored the possibility that the only way to escape was to gift himself to Dylan and pray Yeshin helped his grandson escape Stonemount before Maddox realized what happened. He was too familiar with the treachery that filled the palace to hope that Dylan's faked death and dyed hair would protect them for much longer. Eventually, someone would betray them to win favor from Maddox, or more likely, to protect themselves from some injustice and cruelty. Dylan needed to flee Stonemount for good. Ambrose wondered sometimes if his grandson realized how prophetic his words were when he swore he would never leave Stonemount without his grandfather, free at last. Tonight, he smiled despite his weariness and watched Dylan pace the length of the too-fancy sitting room. Did his grandson realize how quickly this plant-wise woman, Mora, had captured his interest and sympathy? Was it his healer's heart guiding him, or something more personal? There's nothing I can do to persuade her to leave for her own good, unless... Dylan paused a moment, eyes darkening, mouth open on a word poised on his tongue. Unless, Ambrose prompted, I think her child might be ill. She's an adorable little creature, but too pale. Maybe Mora is here to heal the tree, to get an apple to heal her daughter. Grandfather, it's easier for you to get down to the gardens at night. She's constantly with the tree. You could heal Letty and send Mora home tonight, couldn't you? He hurried on. I could. But for her safety, it's best if she doesn't know who I am or what I've done. And then how do we persuade her to leave without that healing? If you're right. We have to try. If you can't escape yet, we can at least help others break free of Maddox's plots and lies. You're right. We can try. And ask Yeshin's blessing. Ambrose played with the idea that maybe he had found something to help him persuade Dylan to leave Stonemount for good before their little deception was discovered. He would gladly accept years of imprisonment and fading away to nothing to keep Dylan safe. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. What does a marriage counselor who has never been in love have to do with a missing beauty queen with an ego problem? What do they have to do with a South American shapeshifter or an ice castle besieged by basilisks? They're all twists on the Beauty and the Beast story. Check out When Your Beauty is the Beast, 13 stories that turn the fairy tale on its ear. When Your Beauty is the Beast, 
Fairy Tale Anthology Number no. One, published by Ye Old Dragon Books in paper and ebook. And now, back to the story. Ambrose walked slowly down the pathway strewn with crushed seashells through the center of the royal gardens. It had been so long since he had come outside during the day, he had almost forgotten what it looked like in sunlight rather than moonlight. On the whole, though, he preferred the nighttime garden. No over-anxious guards, no obsequious, sneering courtiers, teetering on the knife's edge between keeping in the good graces of a gifted healer and in King Maddox's favor. The silver spill of moonlight across the gardens couldn't dim the green-gold glow of magic that rose up in the air like a dainty geyser, high over the spikes topping the wall around the tree. Ambrose took deeper breaths, invigorated by the magic vibrating through the ground and air. A tingling in the air filled his lungs. His heart picked up its pace, and a few times he had to restrain himself from breaking into a mad dash of exuberance. Someone strongly gifted in magic, plant-wise magic, celebrated behind that high stone wall. Ambrose later kicked himself for not realizing it could only be Arden's magic that he felt rippling through the ground and air. He saw Glinna floating over sleeping little Violet long before he saw Arden slowly weaving in and out among the shadows and the dancing branches of the apple tree. Ambrose stared at the spirit remains of the woman he had loved and cherished as a good friend long after the romantic fires turned to coals. Tears touched his eyes as years of memories crashed over him. Glina hadn't changed a speck in the years since he had seen her last. He knew that was to be expected, yet it still affected him deeply. He longed to call her name, to rush to her and take her in his arms and hold her close, and hear her laugh at him and call him a worrywart. He couldn't touch her. It was a miracle, a blessing amid his sorrows, that his gifting was still strong enough he could see her at all. Ambrose chose to be grateful, though he wanted to take Arden and shake her and shout his furious fear for her. What foolishness had brought her here, in disguise, into the very jaws of that cruel, selfish, arrogant idiot, Maddox? He considered what he knew of his great-nephew's schemes and lies, and how he could protect Arden, while feasting on the sight of Glinna hovering protectively over the sleeping child. All the while, Arden worked her plant-wise magic into the air and soil, eyes closed, as she communed with the tree. It was still a part of her, despite Maddox's cruelty and lies and the poisoning and warping of the tree's magic. Then Glinna looked up, as if the pressure of his gaze had become something tangible. Her eyes widened as her gaze went straight to him. Ambrose stepped out from the useless shelter of the half-open gates and executed a deep bow to Glinna. Her hands went to her mouth, and he nearly laughed at her surprise. Dear, her voice wavered with astonishment and a touch of nerves. Violet is sleeping. Do you mind if I look around a bit? Hmm? Arden opened her eyes a moment, barely glancing at Glenna. No, that's all right. Glenna darted past Ambrose, gesturing for him to follow. He had to run to keep up with her, and they went a good twenty paces into the darkness before she stopped. From where they stood, they could still see through the gates, into the walled garden, to where Arden slowly circled the tree and Violet slept. "'My dear, how good to see you again,' Ambrose said, 
his voice strained with his delight and the effort to keep quiet. It would be just his luck, bad, that tonight his lazy guards would decide to come looking for him. The last thing he needed was for them to catch him talking to no one in the dark. They would report it to Maddox, and those vile herbs to make him docile and perpetually drowsy would return to his food. Little Prince Maxon was a healthy, relatively happy toddler now, and didn't need his healing touch. The only reason Maddox made sure he was treated well was to control who received his gifting, after all. "'How are you?' he added, fighting the need to reach out and try to take her hand. "'I'm useless and frustrated,' Glenna cried. She, at least, didn't have to make any effort to keep quiet. "'That's how I am. I wish I had a body again, just to spank some sense into that dratted girl.' "'I can imagine. What in the world made Arden come here?' A dozen plans scampered through his mind— adapting his own plans for escape to help Arden flee the country before Maddox realized she was there. To find you? Ambrose, did you get any of her letters the last two years? Not a one. She got none of mine either, did she? Why does she need me? Her daughter is dying. The warping of the tree's magic here and Arden's bitter spirit have made her own tree useless. And then we found poison in the roots of her tree— and poison in the palace well. We're sure Maddox did it, to force Arden to come to him. She is determined to win the prize he offered for healing his tree, and then she'll humiliate him in front of the entire world if she can. Tiny green sparks shot out of Glenna's hair to punctuate her frustration and fear, just like they had done when she still had a body. It made Ambrose want to take her into his arms and laugh and kiss her soundly. Well, let me heal the child right now, and you three can head home in the morning. He bowed her toward the garden gate. Hmm, I'm not so sure that's wise. Glenna's eyes narrowed as she glanced back toward Arden and her daughter. She needs to be taught a lesson. Twenty minutes later, Ambrose entered the garden, slowly, carefully, like the arthritic old man he had been an hour before. He didn't have to pretend the wonder and joy he felt at this display of Arden's magic, though it was dimmed by the things Glynna had told him and the risky decision they had come to and the plans they had made. Hello. He smiled when Arden stumbled and turned sharply, startled at his sudden appearance. I didn't think anyone was awake at this late hour. Neither did I. Arden colored prettily and glanced at the bundle of blankets where her daughter lay sleeping. So you're Mora. That means bitter, doesn't it? Why? You look like such a sweet girl. He bobbed his head as he had seen old gaffers do, and hoped the princess didn't look past his outward appearance. He had to get her to trust him if he was going to help her, and looking old and harmless was the best way. Over Arden's shoulder, Glynna made faces, both teasing and encouraging him. Perhaps they could see into the future. Being a widow is surely bitter enough. The young woman returned. Ah, but if that is your child, surely life is sweet? He raised his eyebrows, asking permission. Arden only hesitated a few seconds, then nodded. Ambrose's hands tingled with magic he couldn't quite repress as he bent to pick up the sleeping little girl. His entire body ached from the pressure of healing magic long unused that tried to come forth without his calling it. The child opened her big violet eyes at the first touch of his hands, and she smiled at him. Ambrose lost his heart to her, 
at the first glimpse of the tiny white pearl in the center of her upper gums. "'Hello, sweetheart. And what is your name?' "'Letty,' Arden supplied. "'Short for... Violet? For your eyes?' He smothered a chuckle when Arden turned her face away, hiding her reaction. Glynna winked at him. He half-closed his eyes, taking advantage of the mother's distracted moment. Silver sparkles enveloped his hands, flowing from them to cover Violet. Prickles of pain stabbed at his fingertips and palms as the magic told him what ailed the little girl. Ambrose frowned, a welter of negative emotions nearly overwhelming him for a few seconds. He recognized the poison, and it proved Glynna's words right. Only Maddox could have chosen such an insidious, rare poison to accomplish his end. Only someone who had given himself wholeheartedly to alliance with Dermad. When Arden turned back around to face him again, he shut down the healing magic and pasted his harmless smile back onto his face. "'Now that you know us, who are you?' Arden asked, trying to smile." My dear, if you could call me grandfather, I would be delighted. Everyone does. And please, don't tell anyone you met me. He shrugged and put on what he hoped was a guilty grin. I'm not allowed out without a keeper. They think I'll fall and hurt myself. I wander at night because I just don't sleep anymore. Your secret is safe with me, grandfather. Bless you, child. Will you be outside at night often? I'd be delighted if you'd let me come and spend some time with you. I get lonely so much, nearly a prisoner in my room. Yes, Arden looked up at the tree and sighed, but with a smile. We'll be out here nearly every night. There is so much to do, and so little time. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragon's Library.